Today we begin a series on the topic of race. And I want to jump right in because we've got a lot of ground to cover, not just in this four-week series, but, but as I introduce this topic to you today. Now, let me just start right at the forefront. You may be in one of the audiences I'm imagining out there that is asking why. Why are we talking about race? Why are we bringing up such a provocative, hot, controversial emotionally charged subject in our culture right now and bringing it into a sermon series, a teaching series in our church. Now, before I answer that, and I'm going to spend most of today's lesson answering that question of why we're having this series, I want to address some reactions that might be in the room. I'm imagining that there's some who are leaning in and saying, finally, and maybe in the room or at home watching, They're saying, finally, and not for the same reason. They can have that same reaction, finally, but for different reasons. There might be some because they've been personally affected by racial issues in their life. And or they have noticed loved ones who have been affected by racial issues and they're activists on this subject. And and they have felt that the church has been missing in action on this subject, hadn't addressed it overtly enough, directly enough. So there's some that are saying, finally, because of that. There's others that are saying the same reaction, finally, but for a different reason. They have seen that this subject's in the news, and they've seen different people talking about it from different angles, and, and they don't know who to trust. And they know it's important and it's significant, but they don't know what to do. And so they're like, finally, Wisely or not, they think that by hearing about it from their church family, they're hearing a trustworthy source that might give them some trustworthy perspective on it and direction on what to do. And then there's others that might be reacting like they hear that we're going to have a series on race and they say, oh no, please, no. And, and those people, those people might be saying that for different reasons. Some are saying no because I come to church to escape what's going on in the world, the craziness, the darkness, the confusion. This subject is piped into into the news. It's piped into my newspaper. It's piped into my social media. It's, It's infiltrating my education. It's infiltrating my entertainment. It's everywhere. Don't bring it to church. This is my respite from all of that. Why are you piping it in here? And so they're saying, no, please. Then there's others who are saying, no, please. And they feel even more strongly about it. It's almost doctrinal in nature. It's like, wait a minute. That, that's a relevant issue in our culture. But in church, just preach the gospel, Brian. Just preach the gospel. That should be, will take care of itself when we just preach the gospel. And so wherever your reaction is, whatever your reaction is when you hear, Our church family is going to talk about race for a few weeks. I want to tell you why. And and why we're doing it might be pretty unsatisfying to some extremes and equally unsatisfying to others. But the reason we're preaching about race here, besides it's been a long time coming, your elders have been praying and studying and thinking about race for a long time, years, 
they've been thinking about this. And it's because race is the church's business. The race is the church's business. Race is overtly included as a part of the gospel. You can't preach the gospel without preaching race. I'll defend that here in a minute. Race is weaved intimately and overtly into the very fabric of the church and what it is supposed to look like as a demonstration of what it is in heaven being made manifest here on earth. Thus, my series title, The Gospel, The Church, and Race. So that's my premise for today. Here's here's my plan. I want you to know what we're going to be doing in this series. Today, I want to talk about the church's interest in the subject of race and why it's our business and defend that to you. Then, next week, I want to talk about the gospel's interest in race and why race is so intimately connected to the gospel. And then on week three, and I'm so excited about this, and this will be the highlight of the series, we're going to have a guest speaker. Some of you know this man. His name is Dr. Jerry Taylor, and I am so excited about this. I wouldn't even want to be preaching this if he wasn't coming to help us, okay? But he is an associate professor of Bible and missions and ministry at Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas. But beyond that, he's the founding director of the Carl Spain Center on Race Studies and Spiritual Action. Jerry has a calling. And his calling that he gets to implement through that Spain, that, that Spain Center, his calling is to equip Christians to work towards racial healing and unity. That's his whole life. And so I got to meet with him. I went and met with him a few months ago. I went and met with him face-to-face and asked him the question that a lot of us are asking. And if you're not asking it, you should be as a Christian. That is, what can we do as Christians? What do we do to contribute towards racial healing, racial unity? And I asked him, and he told me. He told me his opinion, and it's not just an uneducated opinion. It is something he has been working on for years and implementing for years. And so I asked him to come and tell you. He's going to tell you what, in his opinion, we should do as Christians to work towards and contribute towards racial healing and reconciliation and, and, and unity. So I want you to be here for that. That's in two weeks from today. And then on week four, I'll get back up. And my goal on that week is to give us as a church family some very tangible and real next steps that you can do, that we can do in order to do our part as Christians concerning race. It won't be like a one-time thing and then it's over. It's a marathon. And I, I hope to show you that. So back to my premise and my claim for today that answers why we're talking about race in your church. Race is the business of the church. It is our business. It is our interest. We care about it so much. I am claiming to you that of all the people groups on the planet that care about race, of all of the people groups in the planet, in the world, and in our culture, the political parties, social action movements, of all of those movements, we should be at the top. We're the organization 
that should care about it the most. We're the ones that should be known for caring about race. Now, where do I get that? You might be asking, where are you getting that, Brian? It just sounds like you're just responding to what's going on in the culture. Is that what you're doing? I think that's a fair question. Am I just responding to what's going on in the culture? And the answer is no. Now, it's yes and no. But it's more no than yes. And there's certainly nothing wrong at all for the church to take anything that's going on in our culture and bring a kingdom perspective to that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's right to do that. But that's not what I'm doing today. And that's not the source of why I'm preaching about it. My source comes from strictly our Bible. Race is our business because I read my Bible. That's how I know race is our business. And I know in our fellowship, we have such a high view of Scripture that that's where we need to start. You need to know that race is the business of the church from your Bible. Race is as Christian a topic as all the other ones that we preach on. We sometimes talk about the topic of baptism. Nobody comes up and says, just preach the gospel. Baptism will take care of itself. We preach about prayer. No one says, hey, just preach the gospel. Prayer will take care of itself. Those are intimately woven Christian topics. We don't, when we preach about taking care of the poor, a huge priority of Jesus. We don't say, just preach the gospel. The, the taking care of the poor will take care of itself. So when we preach about race, it is as Christian as any other Christian topic. And that's what I want to show you today. And if you haven't thought of it that way, I don't want you to feel condemned, but I want you to feel corrected. Of all organizations that are addressing and dealing with and are caring about race, we should be at the top. The church of Christ should be known as caring about race and racial issues. Now, will I satisfy cultural demands on either side as I preach? Would I hope to be a kingdom perspective on race no i won't but i don't answer to the people of our culture i don't answer to cnn or fox news i don't answer to those talking points i answer to the kingdom i i speak a kingdom message and this kingdom message i think is going to be it's not going to go far enough for some and then for the others it's not going to go far enough we don't go farther than the kingdom goes And we don't go less than where the kingdom tells us to go. That's what we're after in this and any issue. And so I propose to you that my preaching in this series is important and relevant to us simply because we're Christians who read and follow our source for gospel topics, for church topics, and that's the Bible. And if our culture was like silent on the issue of race, unconscious of racial issues at all and it was never coming up it would be this series would be equally important to have than when our culture is hyper focused on race and escalating it too high and using it for politics and power on both sides of the issue so before I go to our source for the issue of race let me just take this opportunity to make a comment about the wrong source that we go to to take our cues from regarding race and that's our culture that's your tv 
that's social media. Okay, let me just make a comment about that as Christians. I don't feel like we can address this right now without addressing that. So I don't intend, intend to offend you today or condemn you if you've been inappropriately sucked into our culture. We all live in our culture. We're all affected by our culture, me included. But we do not, so we don't need to condemn ourselves for that again, but we do need to correct ourselves from it. Both sides, I'm just going to simplify and say both. There's, there's multiple sides, but you know, both sides like to take their political stances. I'm talking about Christians. You like to take their political stances and cloak them as a kingdom stance so that they can justify a zealous evangelism for their perspective politically as their Christian zeal. Both sides do that. And I'm doing my very best not to do that in this series, as you'll see. I'll go great pains to try not to do that. But I see my fellow Christians on this and many other issues take simplistic, one-dimensional stances far too confidently. And they gladly associate themselves with some political party with no humility, no nuance, careful to promote what they feel is a kingdom stance in their party without identifying what is completely contrary to the kingdom in their political party. I see Christians who are so certain of their political affiliation that they will gladly and effortlessly and sometimes without noticing break one of Jesus' very clear commands. Do not judge. These Christians, I've noticed, will only point out what is clearly right or admirable about their own side and only point out what's clearly wrong or negligent on the other side. Rather than being the balance of grace and truth like Jesus was, they tend to apply only grace to their political party and only truth to the opposing one. I'm going to tell you, I don't trust these Christians. When they make posts, when they ask me questions, it feels unwise. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe answering with these Christians because they lack humility for themselves. So as your minister, listen, I'm not angry or upset when the world does that to me. I expect that from the world. The world is a dark place. They may call me names when I make a kingdom statement. I don't expect that from them. I do expect it from Christians. And as your minister, I'm hopeful that for every kingdom conviction you hold dear, you do not import it into your political party that happens to hold that one conviction as if that party is the hope of the world. Or that the other party's the devil. The world, our culture, does that. It's arrogant, it's one-dimensional, it's simplistic, and even the loudest and best advocates of those political parties in our systems, even when they do hold a kingdom perspective on some issue, they do not hold it for the same reasons we do. 
They do not have the same motives. And it is not undiluted from a bunch of other unkingdom things. Don't be so confident. Listen, as Jesus said, we're in this culture. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Okay, do that. But church, render unto God what is God's. And do not mix that up. You are. You're mixing it up. I see it in your posts. I know some of you are nodding in agreement. And you're thinking the other side. I'm talking to you. Wherever you sit, I'm talking to you. We can't address this as Christians if we aren't going to approach it as Christ would. So those who lean forward as a stereotypical race activist in our culture and those who lean backward with a posture of stereotypical race defensiveness, they will both, you will both be quite unsatisfied by this series and confronted by this series if I do my job. Okay, so let me open my Bible and explain why race is the church's business. I am as upset about what I don't get to cover in Scripture as what I am going to cover, as I'm excited about what I'm going to present to you. It's just, there's just so much more to say. But you remember when we taught you, when you read Scripture and when you approach Scripture, you need to read it through three lenses. Do you remember this? You need to read it through the lens of love. You need it through the, through the lens of wisdom. And you need to read it through the lens of story. And so, I want to take you through some scenes throughout the story, spanning from the beginning to the end of Scripture, so that you can see how this is an issue. Race is important to God throughout the story, even way back when. So I want to start in Numbers chapter 12. This is an amazing story. This is one of the relatively few scenes in Scripture where God himself in heaven, we'll just say God the Father, that's who we think of as in heaven, there's the Holy Spirit and there's God the Son, but God the Father breaks in and speaks to somebody. Like, and we, now, we know God speaks. We have hundreds, maybe thousands of instances of God speaking, but I'm talking about those rare times when heaven kind of breaks open and he comes down and we get, it's not just God told Moses this, it was, here was the meeting, here's what he said. These are important to me. I, I pay attention. I, I zoom in whenever God, the Father, decides to break through heaven, whatever that is, and speak. I want to know what motivated it and what did he say. These are epic moments that should affect us in our theology on whatever subject he's addressing. One formative one, just to make sense of this in a familiar way, is in Matthew 3. It's when Jesus was baptized and God the Father breaks in and audibly says to those present and to Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. He did that for a reason. That should affect us. Especially since a few chapters later in Matthew 17, he repeats himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. You don't have to know what that is, but if you do, you remember he was up there Jesus was with three of his disciples and God breaks in again and says the same thing. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. pleased. And then he adds, listen to him. This is why I'm so dogmatic about looking at the red letters in scripture. All scripture is God breathed and useful, but in that scripture, God shows up and says, listen to Jesus. That's why we're so somewhat obsessive about Jesus around here. It's because God tells us to be. So that's an example. So one of the earliest moments when God broke in 
was in Numbers chapter 12. Now, this is a time when Moses, he's in intimate relationship with Moses. We're told, as much as anyone in Scripture, God kind of spoke with him dealing face-to-face. It started at a place called the Burning Bush. We've talked about that recently. And what motivated him breaking in and speaking to Moses was the rescue of the slaves, his people who were in slavery in Egypt. So that has theological implications. But then he's leading those people of God to the promised land and he's having to govern and, and, and navigate. And so he gets to go to the tent of meeting with, and meet with God a lot. And so it's always an epic moment, even though it's common in terms of uh, what we're used to. But Mo, this is a point that's unique because it includes Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam. They are big-time leaders in the people of God as well. But they don't got that, that personal interaction with God that, that he has. They're committed to him, but, and they love him, and they lead for him, but they don't have that. But in this instance, they do. Listen to what happens. At one, this is in verse 4 of chapter 12. At once the Lord said to Moses, Arian, Ar, sorry, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Okay, this is unique. This is unique. This doesn't happen. It doesn't happen again. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance to the tent, and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. So all three come, but this is really for you two. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true for my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. You ever had that happen in your house with your spouse? You know you're in trouble if they say it and leave. What caused this? What caused this unique? What was epic enough, as epic as the baptism of his son, the transfiguration of his son, for him to hear early in the story, bust in and rebuke, and in a special way, speak to these two guys? It's back up in verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. Miriam and Aaron began to talk about Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now why is this in scripture so early in the story? Why did it demand God's personal presence show up and speak? I'm not delivering this through Moses. I'm going to talk to those two on my own. They were upset that Moses had this relationship with God that they didn't have. They didn't deny that he had it. But they, because of his interracial marriage, they diminished him and elevated themselves as justification for why they should be in on the special talks with God. They did something racist. And that, early in our story, and the Holy Spirit noted it specifically that issue Early in our story, God decides that's worth a theophany. That's a, an, in, an experience with him from heaven. That's early. That's in the patriarchs there. God addresses racial issues. His people are supposed to address racial issues. If you turn from these patriarchs and you move over a little in our Bible to the prophets, there's this prophetic vision 
of God's ideal for his people, his called out people, when they come together to worship specifically. It's in the future. He's, he's drawing a picture. He's, he's painting a dream, his dream. He's delivering it to his people a little bit later in the story of what he intends for his people to look like and to worship like and what it'll be. It's in Isaiah 2, but we gotta pause here. I gotta pause. And I need to tell you something that's gonna rock your world on this issue if you'll let it. It rocked mine. And what I'm about to tell you, I'm, I'm really setting this up because I don't know if I'll do a good job of, of impressing upon you how important this is. You'll read your scripture differently and you will understand the importance of race if you'll understand this one thing. And it has to do with a word in scripture. It's this word that's in this, it's in this prophetic scene that I'm going to read to you. That's why I need to tell you now. It's the word nations. So whenever you read the word nations in scripture you probably think in terms of nations canada mexico the philippines india you know israel england why wouldn't you it's the word nations but the hebrew word and the greek word that's used for nations this this english translation does us no no favors because those words mean ethnicities. Now, I can't pronounce the Hebrew words. You're going to have to trust me on that one, but the Greek word makes the point. How do I know that when it says nations, it means ethnicities? Because the Greek word, you know what the Greek word is for nations? Ethnos. Yeah, you don't even have to know Greek. Where do, well, where do we get from that? Nations? No, we get ethnic, ethnicity, church, every time. You read the word nations, you need to be thinking about race. Every time you need to be thinking, when you read the word ethnicity into these passages, that is inclusive of every race, every tribe, every type of people on the planet. Every time you read it. How important is this? I'm going to go out of order. I'm going to jump ahead to Jesus and just give you a couple, couple of important statements. Do you remember the time? It's in Mark 11 where it's the one demonstration of his anger. It's a demonstration of his anger. You remember this? He's in the temple. There's all the money changing going on. And we know, we remember this if we know the story of scripture and it's okay if you don't. He turned the tables and he ran them out of there. Do you remember what he said? His reason for that? He said to these people, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. You probably didn't notice this little phrase. My house will be called a house of prayer. He doesn't just say, my house will be called a house of prayer and you made it a den of robbers. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all ethnicities. You know what we would, if he's gonna even have to say that, you know what we would expect him to say? This is the Jewish temple in the Jewish nation of Israel in Jerusalem, okay? The city of Israel, we would expect him to say, my house will be called a house of prayer for, for all Israel. For all my people. But he doesn't. He says, for all races. This is important. I'm, I'm just picking one. There are dozens of references to stories you know. I'll just do one more to make this point and just pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you. Let's just go to, this is a little bit of an obscure passage for us. It's the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28, 
We base our whole ministry and mission on what is said right here to Jesus, to his disciples as they are birthing the church. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see it? Therefore, go and make disciples of all ethnicities. (laughs) Caring about race is in the church's commission. It's our job. And every year of your life, every week of your life, every, every day that you have been a disciple and not cared about the subject of race, you have been unfaithful to your commission. I don't want you to feel condemned for that. I want you to feel corrected if you need it. Race is the church's business. He says at the end of this, you can go and make disciples because I'm with you always. If you follow my commission to make disciples, I'm backing you up. But we've left something out. If you follow my commission to make disciples of all ethnicities, I'm with you always. I'm backing you up. I I could go on and on. But let me take us back to this prophetic vision. It's in Isaiah 2. The kingdom ideal of unity in the gatherings of God's people is not a coming together of one ethnicity. It is a coming together. It is a oneness regardless of ethnicity, inclusive of all ethnicities. This is way back in Isaiah, this picture. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all ethnicities will stream to it. Not just you Jews. All ethnicities Many peoples, not many people, many peoples will come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths, all of us, together. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Yep, it is going to come out of this Israel. I'm delivering it through the Jewish ethnicity. But he will judge between the nations. That doesn't mean he's going to separate and judge this ethnicity as guilty and this ethnicity as affirmed. What he means is what he says next because Old Testament historically says what it means twice. He will judge between the nations, meaning he will settle disputes for many peoples. He'll bring unity. He will bring what Jerry Taylor is working for in his life, healing and unity among the races. That's what he says. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks no longer. Nation will not, ethnicity will not take up sword against ethnicity, nor will they train for that kind of war anymore. And then it finishes this way. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Listen, if you're not focused on race, you're not walking in the full light of the Lord as a disciple. And look at who he addresses. He doesn't address the whole world. He doesn't say to the culture, let's get race right. Let's vote in a way that we think will help this. Let's, let's depend on our political leaders who, who tickle my ears and how they're talking about it. Or just that there is someone talking about it. You know, let's, let's just, no, he talks to his people now. He says, here's my vision. All ethnicities, O house of Jacob. You're the ones that should care about my vision. 
You're the ones I'm using. Let us walk in the light of the world. The world won't. That will not surprise us. Their strategies for racial healing and reconciliation might sometimes accidentally trip into a kingdom value. But this is our work. This is our job. Oh, it's hard, long work. But it is ours. Not because it's in the news. Not even because, and I have these, loved ones who are deeply affected by racism. But because it's in our Bible. It's in our Bible. This paints a picture of people from all ethnicities focusing on God and letting God settle the disputes that exist between those ethnicities. So that's in the Old Testament. I gotta move on. I'm, I mentioned Jesus, now a New Testament vision. This is one we like to look at to imagine what heaven will be like. It's in Revelation 7. John sees this vision Again, the same one that's in Isaiah. He's, God hasn't gotten tired. He's still revealing his vision of what the people of God should look like. Thousand years later, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every ethnicity, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and were holding palm branches in their hands. These are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They didn't whitewash all the ethnicities. They're all there in all of God's glory. The church can't be the church without them all being there. They're all washed. Their robes are white. They're on the same team if we go to God and with our political stuff and say which side are you on you on our side or their side I guarantee you we're going to get the answer that that angel gave to Joshua neither you're on God's side that's whose side I'm on you're asking it wrong you're not at the center no matter what race you are no matter whether you come from the power people or the oppressed people We bypass all of that. I'm not on either side. I am on God's side. And all of you, your only hope is to join me in being on God's side and letting God be the healer, the reconciler, and the unity bringer. There's so much more to say. But suffice it to say that from the beginning to the end of the story, God cares about and addresses race. His vision for his church is one where all races live in unity, and that is our commission, is to strive for that. And that doesn't just happen, church. It only happens when the church accepts and understands that race is our business. We should be known in the world, I believe, as the organization that cares most about proactively addressing racial issues so I want to close with a story that really impacted me and came from one of our brothers here Jimitri Green if you don't know Jimitri you have probably seen him up here and or you sat in class he's a great Bible teacher and he and his wife Ruby they're both uh, servants just house parents out at High Plains Children's Home just love them so much 
But I was sitting in one of his classes and he told this story that I don't think I'll ever forget. Really impacted me and I asked his permission if I could uh, share this with you today to make this point that it's our business and should be our business. And how it's tragic when it's not. So perhaps you remember in last year on October 3rd in Wolf City, Texas. This is our neck of the woods. There's a black man named Jonathan Price who was shot and killed by a police officer. He was one of the many in the news. And not that this piece is relevant to the story, but for those of you who might, I just know we get hung up. We're so conditioned by the world to take sides. But the, the, the Texas Rangers came in independently and studied this and, and found that this shooting was not objectively reasonable or justifiable in, in this instance. And so that police officer has been charged and indicted. But that's neither here nor there. I just want you to, to disarm you from arguing in your mind a bit. But I was sitting in class when Dimitri told me that, or told us that uh, his grandmother-in-law lives in Wolf City, Texas. Okay, and they're, they're African-American. And so he was calling his grandmother-in-law and just checking on her because she's feeling this deeply, more deeply than maybe anyone in here could feel it. And so he's just checking on her and, and she's talking and processing through and he said one of the things she said I wrote down here she said we need to contact Black Lives Matter if this doesn't go anywhere so what Dimitri said next I'm just never going to forget he said it's not what she said that I noticed it's what she didn't say what she didn't say was we need to contact the church if this doesn't go anywhere That's what our culture should be able to say. We have such a trust, such a love for the world, and specifically in regard to the admittedly confusing, nuanced, not simple issues of race. But we're the ones who care. We're the ones who've been called by nothing short of God Almighty to, how'd she say it? Make sure this goes somewhere. Towards that vision that God relentlessly shares with his people. This is our business. Because church, the role of the church is to ensure that on issues of race, movement happens. It's the church's job. And that means it's our job and that means it's your job. You know, Again, if there's darkness in the world, and there is, we don't blame the world. We don't rage at the world. We don't do that because we're Christians. If there's darkness in the world, you don't look at the world and blame the world for the darkness. You expect it to be there. Just like when you come home at night and the room is dark, you don't blame the room for being dark. And you don't tell the room, get it together, light up, room. That's not the room's job. You go for the lamp. Right? You go for the light. The light's job is to light up the darkness. And Jesus said in no uncertain terms in this world that is very confused and fighting about race, 
They're getting some things right in there and maybe tons wrong. There's a lot of anger and a lot of rage. Very few kingdom things like the call for forgiveness and, and, and justice biblically and, and all of these things. There's very little of that, but that's what we expect from them. We don't rage at them and then say, get it together, world. Turn on the light. That's not their job. Jesus goes for the light. It's the light's job to light up the darkness. And he says in Matthew 5.14 where that is and who that is. He says, you are the light of the world. If the darkness is out there, that's our job. That's why we care about race. That's why we're preaching about it. And the call for you. There are some of you that need to elevate the subject of race to its proper kingdom priority. You've been affected by the culture and not your Bible. There are others of you who need to de-escalate your focus on race and give it its proper kingdom priority. You've been affected by the culture. And wherever you are, we are Christians. And we want to be followers of Jesus. And if you claim to follow him, if you're a member of the church that's actually of Christ, then race is not something that's just a hot topic in our culture. It's our business. And we're going to talk about it. We're not going to finish it in four weeks. But I hope it begins something in you. I hope it begins something in us. So I want to ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and move around the room. And listen, I know this can be a triggering topic. I heard Thank you, Kyle, for the last three weeks of preaching. It was incredible. I listened to all of them, one, one of them twice. It was just really great. But he also, I noticed he said, I don't want your nasty emails, right? I do. I want them. I want all of them. I don't promise to answer every single one, but I want to hear what you're thinking. I want to know what I'm missing. I listen to God's voice through the community here, and I want, I want to hear what I'm missing, what triggers you, what what, what you're afraid I'm saying, what you're afraid I'm not saying. I need your help. We need each other. I'm not doing this alone. I'm not doing this alone, and you don't have to either. That's why all these guys and girls move around this room here. If you need a prayer on this, or if you just want to know about this Jesus that motivates us to take care of gospel issues and prioritize those, we want you to do that as we stand and sing. Listen to these words you're singing.